Welcome to Real Time, the podcast for and about realtors, brought to you by the Canadian Real Estate Association. I'm Erin Davis, proud to be your host, as today we're delving into information, disinformation, misinformation, with a person who knows whereof he speaks. For more than five decades, Canadians have trusted Peter Mansbridge to guide them through the political, economic, and cultural events that have shaped our nation. He's one of Canada's most respected and recognizable figures, having spent 30 years as CBC News chief correspondent and anchor of The National. On this episode of Real Time, Peter, through his unique journalistic lens, helps us understand why, how, and where we've deviated from trust and truth, and how leaders can respond. Thank you so much for joining us, Peter. It is such a pleasure to have you on Real Time. Thank you for being here today. Hey, Aaron, it's always good to talk to you, and it's especially great to talk to you today. We're here to talk about trust and truth. And of course, you're someone who has earned the trust of Canadians for decades. I mean, when I told people that I was getting up to record this podcast with Peter Mansbridge, to a person, they all said, say hi to him for me, because you're someone who was in their living room, their bedrooms, you know, in their homes. Yeah on the regular, and you really do feel like a family member in so many ways. It's funny like that, right? I mean, you have the same experience over your time in in broadcasting as well. But, you know, I can be in an airport or a hotel lobby or a shopping center and somebody will come up and they give you that look like they know you (laughs) and they've known you a long time and they don't quite understand why you don't recognize them. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, there the, there's a thing about uh, our business that uh, lends toward that kind of familiarity on the one hand, and and a degree of trust on the other hand. And it's true because in so many cases, as I did in mornings when people were just waking up, and you when people are ending their day, winding down whatever kind of day they've had, there is a trust. There is a bond that you form with people because you're there for them. And as someone who has earned the trust of Canadians for decades, how have you seen, Peter, the perception of these values change? You know, it's a really good question. And the the thing about it is trust is a, is a delicate quality and quantity uh, in, in terms of how much there is out there. You have to earn it, for one, and then you have to maintain that trust. And that's not as easy as it sounds. And there are times, and there certainly were times in my career, when there, were, there, there was an issue about trust, when, when people wondered about whether or not what you were telling them was accurate, was the truth or not. And you had to earn it. You had to earn that uh, faith that what you were delivering to them uh, was the accurate sense of what had happened in a day or a week or what have you. Um, Mm -hmm. I've kind of monitored the trust factor for literally decades. And for a long time, um, the journalism business was up there near the top, not at the top. The top is kind of doctors and nurses, uh, firefighters. Um, the bottom was, you know, remember, it used to be used car salespeople. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? They were, they were the least trusted. It's changed over time. Um, the doctors and nurses, et cetera, are still at the top. Journalism, which had been kind of near the top, uh, has dropped down to, when you look at it in percentage terms, is, is, is around 50% now. That's a terrible number for journalists. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, journalism is one of the pillars of democracy, right? You got to you got to have it to believe that you have a democratic system, and to have it, you got to believe in in journalism. When you start doubting it, uh, then everything uh, it kind of falls into uh, some doubt. And so that has taken place over the, you know, I'd like to say, gee, it started the day after I retired, yeah. <laughs> but it had already started before then. Um, people were were doubting what they read, what they heard, what they saw um, on uh, newscasts, television, radio, digital, what have you. And the more the business has exploded through social media, the uh, the more doubt has crept into it. And so to earn that back, journalists have to, first of all, be aware that it's an issue and work at trying to bring it back. And bringing it back means ensuring that you're telling the truth and that you're transparent about what you're doing and how you're doing it. How much has the loss of the fairness doctrine back when when Reagan kind of scrubbed it in, I'm going to say, the 80s and basically just allowed whatever anyone who called themselves a journalist to go on the air and say, how much did that start to muddy the waters? Because I'm kind of guessing that that was where it maybe, if not began, then that was sort of the blossoming and then the internet just was the fertilizer. Now you may have a point there. I mean, we, t- <laughs> we tend to blame a lot of things on, on Reagan or on, especially so on Trump of late. But um, listen, part of the issue here, it's not just the responsibility of journalists. Um, it's also the responsibility of the public. You've got to be, you've got to be prepared to challenge when you don't believe something. Right. I mean, now I'm, I'm out of the daily uh, news business. I'm, you know, I've been seven years out of the CBC, but I do a daily podcast and I get a tremendous amount of mail and reaction to it. Yep. And in many cases, it's, you know, there, there, there's kind of the crazies out there, but not mainly on podcasts. The podcasts seem to have a different kind of um, audience. They're, you know, they're thoughtful, they're constructive. Um, when they challenge, they do so in a constructive way, not in a, a kind of uh, ignorant way. And, and so that's all good. That's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and journalists have to be prepared to, to answer them. A lot of the questions are around this issue of transparency. You know, how did we do our job? Like, how do we make a decision on what's news and what isn't news? Mm-hmm. What should be at the top of a newscast? What's, you know, what doesn't make it in a newscast? All of that stuff is all part of the transparency issue, and we have to be more upfront about how we, we make decisions. So, sure, it, it, it may well have started, you know, back in the 80s, maybe even before then. Uh, but it has taken on a whole new dynamic in terms of trust and Journalists um, and their news organizations are not used in the way they used to be used. You know, the decline in newspapers, the decline in uh, network television, the move towards streaming, all of that stuff. Um, You know, some of it is part of this issue. Not all of it, but some of it. Whatever is out there, the idea that somewhere there is a minister of information who is sitting there overseeing everything that a news operation puts out so that it goes along with the government voice, which you and I know is insane, like that there is a Trudeau or or somebody sitting in the newsroom saying, you're going to tell the story this way. And that's just simply not 
true. Where does the decision making begin? And of course, the buck stops at your desk, but not everyone is a Peter Mansbridge. So, how does the decision to prioritize which stories, how they're going to be covered, how is that done, Peter? Take it down to basics for us. Sure. You know, it is one of the misconceptions. You're absolutely right that there is this hidden hand somewhere that directs uh, journalism now. I can talk specifically about the CBC in the time that I was there. And I, once again, I left seven years ago, so I, I'm not sure, uh, you know, how things are handled there now. But I assume uh, and I certainly hope that they're handled the same way as they were when I was there. I can tell you that I was at the CBC for 50 years, five old, five decades, and only once in that whole period of time. And I was at a senior level news organization, the news structure, so I would have known. But there was only once in those 50 years where the government of the day ordered something up, said, you got to do this. Uh, and the CBC folded like a cheap suit and did it. Mm-hmm. And that was in 1970, during the October crisis, 1970. Okay, so over 50 years ago, um, when uh, they agreed to uh, broadcast the manifesto of the FLQ was mm-hmm. kind of part of the negotiating uh, package that was going on behind the scenes. Um, and there was a great kerfuffle about that, uh, understandably so, within the journalistic organization, that that was a decision made by the government, not by journalists. I never saw anything remotely like that happen again. Now, you know, do politicians, no matter their stripe, you know, liberal, conservative, uh, you know, do they do, do they cry out and say, you know, you're biased, you're this, you're that, why don't you cover this, you should cover that? Mm-hmm. They all do that. That's normal. That's just part of the package that goes on in the background. Meanwhile, journalists do their job. You can argue about how well they do that, and that, that's a legitimate discussion to have. But move this stuff about, you know, political interference aside, because it doesn't happen doesn't happen at the journalism level. Maybe it happens at the bureaucratic level, um, but that's different. That doesn't affect the journalism. The journalism, the decisions that are made in a newsroom, and I'm, I'm assuming most newsrooms are like this, but they certainly were at the CBC and all the newsrooms I worked in, including the national newsroom where I was, you know, the chief correspondent for 30 years, are uh, decisions made on a daily basis by a group of individuals who are very diverse in their backgrounds both geographic, gender, culture, ideology. We have a mix. We deliberately have a mix. Uh, And we move people around the country. You know, I I started in Churchill, Manitoba. Then I went to Winnipeg. Then I went to Regina. Then I went to Ottawa. Then I went to Toronto. I was overseas a couple of times. Um, So, you know, that is kind of typical. And then you end up in this room where decisions are made on a daily basis about what's going to make the program, what order things are going to go in, what we're going to say, all of that stuff. Scripts are approved and debated um, by, you know, reporters as far away as the Middle East covering stories. That all happens uh, by this group of people. Do we have arguments every day? Absolutely. And that's I used to say, if you end up in a newsroom and there are no debates or discussions going on about what you're doing, then you're in a really bad newsroom. You want that kind of discussion, hopefully on a daily basis, about what you're doing. So that's how decisions are made. You know, they're not made by some directive from above. That doesn't happen. It just 
doesn't happen. doesn't happen where I worked. Thank you for that clarification. Sometimes we need to hear that again. The American author and futurist John Naisbitt said that we are drowning in information and starving for knowledge. Coming up with Peter Mansbridge, the common misconception about the way newsrooms are directed, plus the crucial difference between mis- and dis-information. Hey, have you heard? The Canadian Real Estate Association, CREA, has launched a new national login experience. That new experience, Realtor.ca Single Sign-On, or SSO, offers you password security and self-serve management, personal data protection, and a mobile-first experience. It's up and ready for you to start using your new Realtor.ca SSO username and password to access CREA's products and services. Got questions? We're ready. Go to the FAQs at CREA.ca slash SSO slash, and away you go. And away we go back to Peter Mansbridge, our very special guest on Real Time. Misinformation, Peter, can lead to polarization, which seems to breed more misinformation. We get into our camps, our tribes, and we decide, nope, nope, I've got my fingers in my ears. I'm not going to listen to what you have to say because I've made up my mind. What steps can we take to avoid falling into this cycle of misinformation, polarization, and more misinformation, do you think? Well, it is, you know, a bigger issue these days and it's been for a long time and you know i don't want to dump on social media all the time but that's a lot of how it's created uh in terms of misinformation sure disinformation stuff that's deliberately put out there to to you know affect the uh, the news pool and the understanding of people that's a, that's a different kind of manipulative way of doing stuff but how do you challenge that twofold as journalists, you challenge it by demanding the truth, demanding the facts, checking the story, right? There's too, too much ends up on the air, and especially in social media, without anybody checking anything. It just gets repeated. Yeah. And at a certain point on the repetition factor, it, it scores its original purpose, which was to disinform. And it gets out there so much that people start to buy it. So the journalists have to check. But so do the people. I mean, there is an obligation on the public. When something doesn't seem right to you, demand to know more. Demand a better understanding of the story that's being pushed on you, whether it's on social media or whether it's on legacy media. It doesn't matter. You can still make that demand. And if you don't hear back, then you know, well, you know, it probably isn't true. So, um, you know, so you we all have obligations here to try and uh, prevent this from happening, but we live in a world and we've got to be realistic. We live in a world where there is so much information out there. And I, I wouldn't even want to hazard a guess on how much is real and how much is, is untrue, but you know, let's, let's say it's 50, 50, which is possible. Mm -hmm. But you know, we live in this world where there is more information available at our fingertips than has ever existed before in the history of the planet. You know, our, our, our kids, you know, they can get information to, to back up their essays or their exams at the touch of a finger. That wasn't the case for us. No. Um, it's a challenge in the monitoring of it. It's only going to get more challenging um, as we move into a world of artificial intelligence. That, you know, I, 
I shudder to think uh, the direction a, a lot of this is going in, what the world's going to look like, not 10 years from now, not five years from now, a year from now. I mean, things are moving at such a rapid pace mm-hmm. on the movement of information and the creation of information that um, we've we got to put guardrails in. We have to be very careful or the polarized world will only get more polarized and more challenging and more difficult for us to uh, maneuver in. It's almost as though critical thinking should be in the curriculum now for even elementary school, never mind high school and post-secondary. But being able to look at something, like we're with our nine-year-old grandson and he'll be watching a video about the world's oldest man. And I'll say, okay, Colin, you know this isn't true, right? You know it can't be true because they're saying he's 160 or whatever. Well, well, why isn't it? Just because someone has put something on YouTube, right? So it has to start so young that you start going, is this real? And it's unfortunate because here we are needing to instill not only in ourselves as adults, but as our children and grandchildren as well, a healthy skepticism that didn't have to be there before anymore. You know, it was all Tooth Fairy, Santa Claus, and all those good things. But now it's like, well, okay, wait a second. The Tooth Fairy does what now? You know what I mean? I I, I hear you. Um, the other thing about critical thinking is it can be fun, you know. So I, good for you that you're teaching your your grandkids that at, uh, at a young age to be uh, critical in their thinking, to be asking those questions. Is that really true? Like, Tell me more. Why? Why should I believe that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looking for the facts that can that can be fun, and there's nothing like leaving somebody stumped who who is trying to uh, foist an idea on you that uh, that just simply isn't true, and they can't back it up. Um, so that that idea should exist, <laughs> and parents should be able to answer it, which can be an even greater challenge. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like when someone is having the argument with you about, let's say, I don't know, I don't want to say vaccines because that's too hot a topic for whatever reason. But when someone will say, well, you know, they want you to get this because they blah, blah, blah. It's just simply asking the question, well, who are they? Who's this great cabal who is trying to do this to us all? And it does come down to critical thinking so that we may get back to your subject of trust and breaking the cycle and working together to change it. It absolutely comes back to the trust issue, because in those questions where somebody who's critically thinking can't get the answer from whoever is foisting the idea on them, then they've got to go to somewhere they do trust. Um, and if it's, you know, if it's a health issue, they, they go to their doctor or they go to a clinic or they go to a nurse or whoever they can go to who they trust with their assessment of things. And that can lead them to a, you know, a safer place on that issue. Mm-hmm. It's also, you know, my, my parents used to teach us as a, a young family, you know, we'd sit around the diet. We had the luxury of being able to have dinner together every night because of the hours my, uh, my parents worked. But we'd have dinner every night, and we usually have a topic of discussion that was born out of the day's news. Just, you know, it wasn't a formal discussion or anything. We just end up talking about something. And 
opinions would form. And my dad would encourage us, okay, take the opposite view now. Let me hear you argue it from the other side. Mm. Uh, and that was a really interesting exercise uh, because it forced you to, you know, think more. It forced you to seek out other opinions on issues. Um, and, it, you know, it sets you up for a better a better way to handle issues of consequence that you may be suddenly confronted by. Uh, so, you know, that, that, that was one of the ways we, we went about things when, when we were tired of just sort of challenging for, for, for more facts to back up a, uh, an assessment or an opinion. Information is everything, right? That's how we move forward in life yeah. is based on the information we gather. And if we reach a point where we're all going, I don't trust any of this. We're in trouble. We're in big trouble. Yeah. So we have to we have to find the ways to be more confident about the facts we have and the facts we use to make decisions about whatever the issue may be each day. So where do you get your facts, Peter? Where do you get your news from? Oh, I just go on social media and say, "Hey, <laughs> what about this?" <laughs> um, <laughs> you gotta uh, you, you gotta read. You know, I mean, we. Uh, you know, we're caught in the middle of a, a time bubble right now where the, the major issue, the international issue, is surrounding the Middle East. Well, yeah. you and I have been around long enough, Aaron, to know that there are so many opinions and sides to this story that you can uh, have a hard time trying to come up with what you believe to be the truth. Um, how do you do that? You do it by checking out of social media and you do it by reading through trusted sources and understanding the background. I mean, the Middle East is a complicated historic issue, but so are many others. There's a history to most of them. And you want to understand the history before you try to make decisions about the present on, on these issues. Um, because, you know, the old saying, you know, if you ignore history, you're, you're, you're bound to repeat it in some fashion. Uh, and that's not always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so reading and studying and understanding it, you know, is a good, good part of it. And, you know, in my job, I was, I was not an expert in anything. I'm still not an expert in anything, but I, I'm kind of a generalist. So I know a little about a lot, which is, <laughs> as my dad said, used to say, knowing a little about a lot is a dangerous place to be because you basically only know a little, right? But and and an inch deep and a mile wide, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But what I found that I could do was get into, uh, into a discussion about a subject and ask questions based on a reasonable degree of knowledge, limited, but still reasonable to the point where I could ask questions, which were probably similar to what a lot of people are asking at home. Uh, and that's where you want to be. You don't want to, you know, as the, as, as the questioner, you don't want to be trying to be smarter than the guest. <laughs> you, you know, like, what's the yeah. point? You're no longer the common man, and that's who you're supposed to be, but you're also supposed to know what you're talking about. You were in a kind of exactly. a, a very interesting foot in both camps sort of a position. But yes, please go on. Yeah, well, the audience can see that, and they, they don't like it, right? They, if you're trying to be more than you mm-hmm. are, it's like questions that kind of go on forever and, 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 and in fact have an implied answer in the question. Yeah. 
we all do that. I do it. I imagine you do it at times. It's it's not where you want to be. You want to just get to the question, right? Right. That nobody cares exactly what your opinion is. Mm-hmm. They want to know what the opinion of the person you brought into the discussion because they're an expert of some degree on whatever the issue is. So that, that's kind of where I am on that. When we return with Peter Mansbridge, applying the principles of trust and truth in your life and your work and leadership. We've been talking about social media today, and we know that Instagram has become such a huge part of our daily lives. And of course, that includes reaching out to your clients. So be sure and follow Kriya at Kriya underscore ACI on Instagram so you know when a new episode of Real Time is being released and for important updates from stats to our blog, Kriya Cafe. Now back to renowned journalist and broadcaster and our very special guest, Peter Mansbridge on Real Time. When we talk about trust and truth, many people, of course, think we're talking about in the media or with the government. But how do these principles apply to, say, modern business leaders? Well, exactly the same way. Um, I had more to that question, but I decided to cut it off because I didn't want to ask more. No, (laughs) I didn't want to go on too long. (laughs) When I talked earlier about that... The, the, those trust listings. There was a whole list of professions in there. Yes. You know, in, including, Teachers, including bankers and yep. real estate agents. And yep. You name it. Yep. They're all in there. And, uh, you know, there are, uh, and they've all taken a hit as well. Uh, just like most everybody else has taken a hit on trust. You know, the same thing applies to them as well. Um, to ensure that what they're dealing with when they're talking whether it's to a client or, 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 or a colleague, that what they're saying is real, that it's accurate, um, and that it can help others understand their business and the implications that, are, 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 that they're going to face in that business uh, by being a part of it in some fashion, even just as a, as a customer or client. Um, so trust is just as important, and the truth is what trust is built on. Mm-hmm. So you you have got to have both of those, uh, no matter what your uh, what your profession is. What steps can businesses take to develop a culture of honesty, integrity, and transparency? We've seen companies that when they've screwed up, they've stepped up right away, and then we've seen other companies. An automaker comes to mind that kept things on the down low about emissions for so long and lost so much trust as a result of that. And it's taken, you know, better part of a decade to build that back up. What steps can businesses take, Peter, to develop that culture? Well, we've got to stay ahead of the, uh, of, of the story. I've got to, you know, what the, what's the, the term that most people use on, in terms of crisis management? How, what's the best way to manage a crisis? Well, the best way to manage a crisis is to realize how it's going to end and get there as quickly as possible. Ah. Don't play it out. Don't fudge. Don't, you know, try to cover it up. If you know it's going to end a certain way, get there. Get there right away. Mm. Um, and it's it's kind of the same just on, you know, on a basic way of instilling that sense within a within a profession is that tell the truth. Admit when you're wrong. Get there quickly. Be 
because every minute you take getting there is impacting your trust factor with your clients or your colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see so often a situation where a company or some business of some kind is caught in a problem and you know that those early denials don't seem to make a lot of sense. You know where this is going. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of how long it's going to get there. And the longer it takes to get there, the less trust you have in them. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a problem, deal with it. Deal with it right away. You know, if you're lucky, you can deal with it behind, you know, behind closed doors before it ever gets public. Clean up the, the issue you have within. But the longer you leave it, the more likely it is that it's going to go public. Somebody's going to say something. Mm-hmm. Or somebody's going to find out something. And then you're really dealing with a situation that's damaged everything about your operation. So, um, I mean, I, I, that would be, to me, the basic thing. Got a problem? Deal with it. Deal with it right away. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to what you said at the beginning. You know, your reputation, your trust, the trust that people have in you takes a lifetime to build and can be shattered overnight. And so you want to mitigate or get in front of that right away. It's you know it's so true, and I'm you know, I'm talking from personal experience too. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my time at the CBC, there were times where bad things happened, stupid things, stupid decisions were made, and not crooked or anything, but just dumb decisions. Human decisions. Yeah, you knew it was going to backfire. You knew your audience was going to say, "This is crazy. I'm not watching this." And you know, there were times you had that, and you're you're absolutely right. You know. You, you can make a mistake. You can lose your audience or your customer base overnight, right? And it takes a long time to earn it back, if ever. And so whether it's journalism or selling widgets, these same kind of lessons apply. If you've got a problem, deal with it. Deal with it as soon as you can. How can Canadians feel empowered to respond to the challenges that we've talked about today, Peter? Well, in many ways, they hold a key to, uh, you know, making a better world in this uh, kind of world we're talking about. Um, Because if Canadians generally, clients, customers, don't buy in, that uh, business is going to have a problem. Um, So the first thing Canadians have got to understand is they do have power. Consumer power is is an amazing thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's, uh, it can be a decision maker on the way uh, companies and professions um, end up on that trust factor scale. So uh, don't be shy. When, you, know, when you, you don't like something and you feel empowered to say something, say it. Because they will listen. Eventually, they will listen. Um, and so, you know, don't be shy. I mean... They're there to to serve you, right? They're there to make a profit, but they're there to serve you. And uh, if you don't feel served, make sure they know. Make sure they understand why you don't feel that way. uh, Whether you're calling the local grocery store to say, you know, you sold me chicken and you had it dated, but when I got it home, it was bad. Like, that's just not acceptable. And nor is an answer that, hey, listen, that's the way it was dated. That's the way it was dated. Yeah. The only thing that's acceptable at that point is bring it back 
we will replace it immediately. Or better still, we'll come to your house and replace it. But, uh, you know, there's <laughs> you've got some power. Don't just like dump the chicken or whatever it may be in the garbage and move on and say, well, I learned my lesson. I won't shop there anymore or I'll look closer at the date or whatever. Yeah. Um, call them. Tell them. I appreciate that. We all do. And everything that you have shared with us here today, as you have with your keynote in Ottawa at CREA, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your expertise. And we'll remember when we see you in the airport, hey, it's that guy. <laughs> it's Peter <laughs> Mansbridge. Don't you love when they say, should I know you? I've, I've gotten that. Yeah. And it's like, well, I don't no, know. Right. Should you? <laughs> Tell us the most yeah, bizarre thing someone has said when they've met you and not known what else to say, because fans get gobsmacked, Peter. <laughs> Actually, I can tell you one that happened, and this is, you know, this has happened a few times. It was just a couple of weeks ago. I was, I was flying back from somewhere. I got in the car at the airport, you know, a taxi or a Uber or something, and we're driving into Toronto. And... Um, the guy was very talkative and we were talking away about different things and, you know, he'd, he'd recognized me. And so we were talking about, you know, going to mean sports or, you know, world events or something. But anyway, he was very, very uh, talkative mm -hmm. and he kept looking at me in the rear view mirror. And um, so we had a great conversation. It was, it was very enjoyable. Get to, uh, get to where we were going. I said, that's great. Thanks so much. Uh, get out of the car. And before I close the door, he says, just want you to know, I really miss you, Mr. Robertson. You're great all those years. I knew it! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's funny because Lloyd, you know, Lloyd says the same thing that's happened to him. He remembered picking up somebody on the side of the road who was during a storm, rainstorm. Him and his <laughs> wife picked this woman up and, and put her, she got in the back seat. And, and he said, you know, I couldn't leave you standing there. Happy to take you to your home, which was it turned out it was right along the way. So he takes her home. They have all this discussion. She gets out of the car. She said, you're great, Mr. Mansbridge. I just love the fact oh, that uh, I got this opportunity to meet you. <laughs> so those, those things happen. And it, it, it keeps you honest, too, right? Oh, don't they, though? Oh, yeah. Just when you think you're, everybody knows who you are, they don't. Exactly. <laughs> If I had a dollar for every time it was, hey, it's Marilyn Dennis, I would right. be, yeah, exactly. I, I'd be flying off with you somewhere. Oh, Peter, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your perspective. We so appreciate all of it. And it was great talking to you. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. It's great talking to you, as always. Catch more Peter Mansbridge whenever you like, simply by downloading his podcast, The Bridge, informative and entertaining. You'll stay up to date on all the latest developments in the world around us from someone you can trust. We trust you are enjoying real time, and please do let all of your associates and friends know we're here. Catch every episode, past and future, simply by subscribing wherever you download the best podcasts. Real Time is produced by Alphabet Creative, with sound magic by Rob Whitehead and Real Family Productions. I'm Erin Davis, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode just as much as we did bringing it to you. Thanks for being here, and we'll talk to you again soon on Real Time. <laughs>